All right, you guys ready for the message today? I'm just telling you now, I'm gonna get kind of preachy and it may feel a little heavy, but it's a, it's a Christmas message for us to be really challenged. I want you to leave here feeling really challenged and drawn closer to Jesus, but it's not my normal sermon flow. Typically I'll work through a passage, but um, it was really inspired by the Lord uh, by the sermon that we heard last week. So I'm, I'm continuing in our Advent series with a message I've called, All I Want for Christmas is to be ready. Uh, first of all, we're in the third week of the Advent season, which is the theme of joy. And if you're like any of our kids this Christmas, the excitement of receiving gifts and knowing that somebody took time to think about what you want or need always brings excitement and joy, right? We know and we affirm that the coming of Jesus is what brings us real joy into the world. I'm telling you, as you work with missions and do outreach and compassion work with us, as we do more of that next year, there's something so impactful about seeing the joy on someone's face who may have little to nothing, but yet they've received Christ and they've received the touch of God from the lives of other people. We know that real joy comes from knowing Jesus. And so we celebrate that today. And, 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 and I'm asking the question, or I'm, I'm making the statement, all I want for Christmas is to be ready. How many of you love the song, all I want for Christmas is you? Come on, ooh, baby, ooh. Jarape got to sing last week, so I'm gonna sing this week. Little Mariah Carey. Uh, it, hey, let me tell you about that song. It, it was the, the, the theme for the title today. That has become the number one Christmas song of all time. Did you know that? Over Oh Holy Night. I got a problem with this. You know what I'm saying? Like, Silent Night. But All I Want for Christmas is You has become the number one Christmas song. Billboard named it the number one song of all time, Christmas song of all time. It's the number one streamed Christmas song ever. It's sung by Michael Buble, which is my favorite. Justin Bieber, unfortunately, sang it. But made famous by Mariah Carey, who makes multiple millions every year just from the streaming of that one song. Our sound guy said earlier, about 600,000 of those streams is the lobby music at LifePoint. <laughs> All I Want for Christmas has 1.5 billion plays just on Spotify alone, not including Apple Music or cassette tapes, however you get your music. So just playing off the title of that song, All I Want for Christmas, what is one thing, if you could ask for, is the only thing that you would really want or ask for? If you could pick one thing and have it, what would it be? Maybe a car, a cool weapon, a nice watch? Come on, I'm talking to a room full of dudes in this, right? How about a cool trip or something in your relationship to change? What if, what, what, what if the one thing you wanted was a good pet, like a dog or... Not a cat, give me a break, get him out of here. Security. <laughs> like I would literally have a goat before I had a cat. You know what I'm saying? I would have anything before a cat. What, <laughs> what is one thing, maybe something in your relationship to improve or a promotion at your job? Maybe your kids to just obey you for a straight week. Well, what if you had only one thing to want and, and what if you only had one thing to ask God for and, and like you knew that he'd get it to you or do it for you or maybe it's a healing of a family member or restoration of a relationship or the ability to forgive the one who hurt you. What is the one thing that you could ask God as you're preparing for 21 days of fasting? Say, God, here's the one thing that I'm asking you for, for 2023. Well, here's a different question for you. What if God could ask you for one thing for Christmas? 
What if God could speak in this message today and say, hey, there's one thing I want from you. And you could actually be a part of giving this gift to God. What if God could anticipate something from us this year? And what if that one thing was that we are ready? And let me unpack what I'm talking about. The idea for this sermon came as I was sitting on stage last week during our Fresh Faces message, which by the way, didn't our team do an awesome job last Sunday, everybody? I'm so proud of our team. Pastor Willie, Jeray, come on, Natalie, Shelby, Pastor Christian, all of you guys just did such a great job. Stephanie and I were just so amazed. But I got to hear this message a lot. I mean, I was a part of the beginning phases of the conversation weeks and weeks ago, and then as the manuscripts were being written. So I had heard the messages. I knew where we were headed and, and got to help work through and coaching the, the preachers. And then I'm sitting on stage, and in the third service, God began to challenge me with today's message. By the way, um, I always have a notebook when I go to church, always. And I wanna encourage all of you to be old school, take notes, have a way of writing notes. Like, don't just sit there with your arms crossed and listen thinking you're gonna retain everything. You know, it's not a movie, this is teaching. But one of the reasons I do that is because God will speak to me in moments where I'm listening to a sermon or listening to a, a, a message and I just gotta, I gotta scribble it down because I'll forget it, right? Because I'm old, I'm in my 40s, y'all, I'm old. Imagine 50s, could you believe that? Anyway, I was with my father-in-law the other day and <laughs> we were talking something about uh, somebody in the family who was like, how old is so-and-so? And I said, man, she's really old. And then I said, an, an age younger than him. So anyway, I just love those kind of jokes. But so I'm sitting in service last week and I'm on the platform and it's in the third service when Pastor Jeray got done singing and um, man, he can sing. And so he read from Luke chapter two. Remember the announcement that the angel made to the shepherds, fear not for behold, which again, we need to bring that back, right? I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Let's just stop right there and just say, man, an angel shows up in your field at two in the morning when you're shepherding, shepherd's gonna shepherd. And the angel tells them, fear not. First thing the angel says, fear not. We're gonna deal with that in a second. But he says, I'm bringing good news of great joy for everybody. And here it is, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now the crowd of shepherds would have known the language, city of David, shepherd, Christ, excuse me, savior, Christ, Lord. This is all in the language they're familiar with. And they had been waiting for hundreds of years, thousands in fact, since Isaiah's prophecy and the Old Testament prophecies. And the shepherds are probably thinking, why in the world are they telling us and not the leaders of the synagogue or the temple? Why are they here and not Jerusalem? But the first thing the angel says is fear not, why? Why would anybody tell you to not be afraid? Because you're, we'll go back two verses. This is the part that really messed with me. It's probably one of the most famous Christmas passages ever, but it was the verse before in Luke two, verse eight and nine, that sets us up for the angel having to tell the shepherds, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. In verse eight and nine, it says, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks at night. So here's the setting. In a field, Middle East, nighttime, shepherds shepherding. And they're watching for wolves, they're watching for predators, they're watching for people to come and steal their flock, they're watching over their flock. And in that environment, people just minding their own business, doing their job, working in their profession, not bothering anybody, the glory of God himself showed up in the field. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. It's interesting the angel didn't appear to the synagogue leaders and the religious rulers. He doesn't even show up with Mary and Joseph. The angel's out here with some random group of shepherds. And it says the glory of the Lord 
shone around them and they were filled with great, tremendous, a large amount of fear. Now there's two ways to read the word fear in the Bible. One is awe and reverence. Like when we say fear God, that means revere God. Don't be afraid of him. And then there's fear like I'm afraid, I'm petrified, I'm scared to death. That was this fear. They weren't filled with great awe. These aren't the religious leaders of the day. These are shepherds just trying to shepherd. And all of a sudden, the sky opens up, the angel of the Lord appears, and the glory of God, I don't know about you, but man, that would freak me out. It's two in the morning, bro, everything is quiet. I got the other under shepherds sleeping. I got all the lambs laid down. I'm about to turn on a little Netflix. Got about a four hour stretch of some chill. Come on, new moms. How many of y'all know that stretch between when you get that baby down in the middle of the night? It's like the most glorious four hours of your life. So I imagine these shepherds just no anticipation that God would start with them. And their reaction, they were scared to death. So I'm sitting there listening to Jeray, Pastor Jeray, doing this amazing sermon, singing, flexing those biceps. And in the third service, I felt like God started speaking to me, which is why I have a notebook, because I started writing down and I scribbled out a page of notes that became this sermon. And I started feeling like God started asking, if I showed up unannounced in your life, would you be full of fear or full of joy? Like if God showed up right now, just walked in, Jesus Christ. How many of you be like, oh my gosh, I got so much to clean up. Hang on, bro, wait in the lobby. I got, you ever have a guest show up at your house unannounced? Ding dong, and they got like a platter of food and you're like, oh, what are you doing? Uh, you know, throw the stuff behind couches and anybody go to somebody's house and you're like, do you live like this all the time? It's like magical paradise. That ain't my house, I got four kids. You know what I'm saying? We're always kicking stuff and sliding things out behind couches and you come to my house and we're like, let's talk on the porch. Right now I'm in this phase with my kids. I need candles. I need more and more candles because my kids are becoming teenagers. This is my statement. I walk around the house. Can we light a candle? It smells like humans in here. Just light stuff. Don't come to my house and come in for long because it probably stinks, you know, like children, just gross. But when we throw a party, it smells like cinnamon and spice and food baked in the oven. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You get ready when, but if God just showed up, while you're working the field at night, while you're at the third shift at train, while you're doing guard duty on post, if God just showed up tonight at your house, would you be full of fear? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not ready. And I think a lot of us have this posture towards God, like he doesn't know what you're doing. Like he doesn't know your real heart. Like he doesn't know unforgiveness, bitterness, doubt, disbelief. He, like he doesn't know that. If the presence of God showed up, this is what the Lord started messing with me about during the message last week. Mike, would you be full of excitement or would you be full of fear? I grew up the youngest and smartest of three boys (laughs) with a single mom. My parents divorced when I was one and a half and uh, my mom worked two jobs until I was 15. It's where I get my work ethic. She was just an incredibly hardworking woman. But most days she got home about seven We had chores, the rules in our house were very thin. We had very few rules. It was don't burn stuff, don't burn my house down. (laughs) Maybe other places, fine, but like, you know, like the the rules were don't bring it here. You know what I'm saying? Like do your crazy out there, but don't bring it here. 
But we had some rules related to chores and she worked two jobs and she didn't have time to be a homemaker all the time. And, and, and we had chores every day, uh, dishes, living room, vacuum, pick up the house every day. Cause when you have three teenage boys, your house is a wreck every day. And the deal was this, the rule was really simple. I want all the chores done when I get home. Seems fair enough, except when you're raising teenage boys. So we get off the bus at 2.30 and we lived wide open, hell raisers, I mean, we were terrible. We did not think about chores until about five minutes before mom came home. Because the rule was, if those chores weren't done, you were in trouble. And we're old school and Southern, so trouble meant a whooping. Y'all hear what I'm saying, everybody? I need to bring some of that back on some of y'all's kids. Just one pop, you know, don't beat them, don't be abusive, but just some of them need a screen out their hand and a hand on the butt, you know what I'm saying? So we get off the bus and do everything we wanted to except chores. But we lived on this dead end, like right as you turn a corner at a stop sign, we were the next house, but it was a dead end. So whenever my mom made the turn in the winter, her headlights streamed across the front of the house and we could see, we're like, mom's home, quick, be busy. And in the summer, when she'd pull in, you'd see the reflection of her car pulling in. We knew the sound. How many of y'all know the sound of mom coming home? Y'all know what I'm talking about? That motor of that car. Man, we'd be in the middle of doing all kind of crazy stuff. But man, if we got mom coming home and we weren't ready for her to come in, we knew we were in trouble. So she'd be walking in. And as long, the rule was a little flexed. If she walked in and you were doing the chores, she'd give you that shifty eye like, boy, you was close today. She walk in, I'm like, hey, mom, look at me putting the dishes away. Are you ready to make dinner? You know, like, but if those chores weren't done when she got home, you heard about it. We weren't ready for her to get home. Now, the parallel doesn't work perfectly, and here's why. Because we don't work our way to God. Pastor Christian told us last week, we don't need to be caught busy working for God, but we do need to be caught busy being with God. And the question is, are you and I ready to meet Jesus in a moment? Are you ready to see the Lord? If Christ were to return, listen, we're in the second time of waiting. The whole world waited for the first coming of Jesus. That's why the angel said, hey, it's starting now. This is the time you've been waiting for centuries for this. And then Jesus said, I'm gonna go back to the Father and I will come again for a church. The first time Christ came was to give his life for the world. The second time Christ will come is to retrieve that world unto himself that lives for Jesus. So we're in a second season of waiting. Hey church, I don't know if you realize this or not, Christ is coming again and he's coming for a church and he's not coming for a busy group of religious people, he's coming for a family. He's coming for a bride who loves him. But if the Lord showed up today, when you leave the parking lot, if God himself appears in the cloud over Rossview Road, are you ready to meet him or would you be afraid that you've been living in such a way or lulled to sleep in such a way or far from God in such a way that you wouldn't even recognize him and say, hey, wait, 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 I gotta go get some things cleaned up first. Jesus talked a lot about living ready. In fact, he talked a lot about his return. He'd say there would be some that when the Lord returns will say, hey, let me go finish this business deal or let me, go, let me go handle these affairs. Jesus would say, no, 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 you can't put your hand to this plow and look back. There's no fitting in my kingdom. You gotta be ready, ready, ready all the time. So when Jesus, when God shows up in a field of shepherds who knew the theology, hello, they knew of a Messiah, they knew of the coming of a Christ, they knew the theology, they were part of the temple. And when the Lord showed up to them, they were freaked out. And the angel had to say, don't be afraid. God's doing something here. So I came to bring you a message today of asking the question, what is it like for you to live ready? 
chaplaining the football team at Austin P. You know, we hear that language, ready, ready, be ready, ready. Are you living ready for God? And here's the two ways that you need to be ready. If the Lord should return, he is coming again. I believe that with all my heart. I hope it's in my lifetime. I wanna see it. But you may also be forced to be ready because you might suddenly be taken out of this life through death. Yesterday morning, I woke up to a text from my father that my stepmother's brother died sitting at his computer in his 50s. Massive coronary, heart attack, whatever. He, He just died sitting there. And in a moment, his readiness was called into account. And my, my stepmom is grieving the loss of her brother and then asking questions, was he ready to know God? But we are invited today to deal with this question. If God could say, all I want is you to be ready for Christmas. All I want for Christmas is for you to be ready to meet me. Like the shepherds. So, so I, I just wanna give you two thoughts and then we're done with the message today. First of all, I want you to understand Jesus wants you ready. There's no game here. There's no like, he's not playing games and manipulating or trying to tease you here. Jesus clearly wants you ready. He wants it so much, he came to earth, gave his life on a cross, made all the official arrangements for you and said, all you have to do is believe in this that I've done for you and you'll be ready. Jesus wants it for you. It's a part of the recurring theme of Jesus. He taught in a couple parables. Let me, let me just show you two challenges from, from Jesus. And then I wanna show you how to be ready. Not how to earn your way or work your way to readiness, but how to position yourself to be ready. The first, it's where I'm at in my personal devotions, Luke chapter 12. In context, Jesus is telling uh, the disciples, he's saying, don't worry about the things of this world, what you'll eat or drink or, or what you'll put on. He said, Gentiles chase those things. Seek first the kingdom of God. Put him first in everything. Seek his righteousness and all this stuff will be taken care of. And then he said, the father in heaven delights, takes pleasure in giving you his kingdom. And then he says this, he goes, put your treasure in heaven, right? In the context of all of this, put God first, focus on God. Don't worry about the things of the world. Jesus then says this very next thing in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 35. He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Which is language of be ready. Hey soldiers, how many of you know the life? Be ready. Y'all know, here's what it sounds like for you. Hurry up and wait. What are you waiting on? It to pop off. You are trained to live ready as soldiers, right? Hurry up and wait. And and you can easily have a bad attitude of going, oh man, we're just sitting here wasting all of our time. Or you can go, I'm spending my time in waiting in readiness. Look what Jesus said about that. Get dressed for action, keep your lamps burning. A lamp in the, in the first century Middle East would have been a, a small clay vessel with a wick coming out and oil in the lamp. That means keep your, your lamp ready with wick trimmed and oil in it. And look what he says, be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. When a master comes home, be a servant ready to receive him into your home. He goes on to say this, blessed are the servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Hey, look at me, church. There's a blessing that comes with you just being ready. You may be ready your whole life and him never show up in this lifetime before you die. Great, there's a blessing on you living ready. Just like when you hurry up and wait as a military person, just like when you get to the office on time at work this week and you show up and nothing goes chaotic, but you are ready. There's a blessing that comes with living ready, ready to meet the Lord, ready for the master to come at any time. 
Blessed are those whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, Jesus says, I say to you, he will dress himself for service. This is great. When you're ready for him, he'll make himself ready for you. Look at this. He will dress himself for service and have those servants recline at table. This is relational language. And he will come and serve them. This is Jesus talking about himself. If he comes in the second watch or the third, middle of the night, first of the night, and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. How many of you know if you're a boss or a a leader and you come to work expecting people to be ready and, and excited to go and they're not ready, it frustrates you. It produces anxiety for you, right? Today is uh, the, the 14th birthday of my second oldest daughter and she was born real fast. We woke up at five and she was born at 6.30. That includes a mandatory shower that she had to take and a trip to the hospital. I was like, please don't have this in my car because I'm gonna have to burn my car to the ground. Just don't. Like, I didn't know. It was, she wakes me up at five. She's like, I think I'm having a baby. And I'm like, it's five, girl. Just count it and go to sleep. I was so insensitive. But could you imagine had we walked into the hospital and literally she's birthing the child and saying, we're having a baby. And they go, our people, we're just not ready for you. That's how some of us are living our lives with Jesus. That if he were to show up in the second or third watch of your life or somehow tragically call your life to account with an accident on the way home or some kind of diagnosis or something like my uncle, where we would say, I'm sorry, master, but I'm just not ready for this encounter quite yet. That's what boring Christianity, non-vibrant life for God. Like I believe in God, but I'm not really living for God. I, I go to church, but I'm not a part of the church. I, I know he's real, but I'm not really with him right now. That's, that's that life of no readiness. And Jesus says, blessed are the ones he finds awake. And then he ends this little statement by saying, you also must be ready. For the son of man is coming at an hour you don't expect. Listen, God's not gonna send an email to pastors around the country and the world with 48 hours notice and time change specific details. Jesus said, I don't even know when I'm coming back. I've submitted that to the father. He knows and I will come again, but I don't even know when. So if Christ doesn't know, you better know you're not gonna know and don't ever follow some wackadoo that says he or she knows. Your job is not to know when he's coming. Your job is to be ready for when he comes. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So if God could say, all I want for Christmas is you to be ready, to meet me in a moment, to see me come and show up. Can you imagine as a shepherd? Here's your job this week. I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse, I'm a parent, stay at home dad or mom, I'm a teacher. And in the middle of just doing your job, the glory of the Lord shines around your classroom or your office. And the Lord says, I'm ready for you. Would he be blessed to see you ready? Jesus is teaching his disciples, which is us, that there will be a time when we must stay alert, dressed for his return. And he doesn't want us lulled to sleep. He doesn't want us doing things that don't matter. Many of us have walked, we've gone, man, it's taking so long. You know, I'm just gonna go do my thing. I'm gonna go live my best life. And some, some have said things like, well, right before I die, I'm gonna go, Jesus, forgive me. 
Like you're gonna, every, you're, like you're gonna fall off a cliff and then be like, oh Lord, I'm so sorry, I'm coming. <laughs> how selfish to live that way. How selfish to your master to go, I'm gonna live how I want until I'm tragically on the way out. And then, but God is so gracious, he'll still forgive you and, and save you at that moment. Like that's the whole parable of the, the 11th hour servant that, that, that God says, I'll pay them the same wage as the ones who came in the morning, right? It's in your Bible, just trust me. God is so gracious, he will save you, but how selfish to live that way when you could live under the blessing of readiness. There's a blessing with being ready every day, man. Lord, I'm ready. I'm here to serve you. I'm dressed with my life with readiness. I'm living out of sin. I'm I'm walking in honor. I'm, I'm walking with integrity. I'm walking with transparency. I'm confessing my sins to others. God, I'm reading my word, not because I, I, I need to be busy for you, but because I want to grow next to you. I'm ready, God. You need to remember every beat of your heart matters to God. The Bible says every hair on your head is counted by God. Every breath you breathe matters to him. So how you spend your life in devotion and discipline and anticipation for the Lord should matter to you. In Matthew 25 is one of my favorite parables. I love the parables of Jesus. It teaches us how the kingdom should be. Jesus said it like this. He goes, the kingdom of heaven is like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet a bridegroom. Now you gotta understand the context here of the culture and, and, and a groom could like have a, a group of ladies that he picked from. It seems very primitive and old and it is. It's thousands of year old tradition. We don't do this anymore. But 10 bridegrooms or 10 virgins are coming to be picked by a groom. And five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. I think Jesus is a great like just joke teller. You know, like three guys walked into a bank and the first guy and the second guy. Jesus was really good at telling stories. And, and here he's like 10, bride, 10 virgins waiting on the bridegroom, five were foolish, five were wise. Well, what set up their foolishness and wisdom? Ready, watch this. For the foolish, when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise brought flasks of oil with their lamps. Now I want you to understand, all of them are in the crowd, all of them have lamps, and all of them are virgins. All of them are included. So here's what happens. We gather as church sometimes and we're all in the building and we all have our little lamps and our little Bibles and notebooks and all of us have our little routines and I'm a giver and I do the things. But if we don't have a life with Christ, we have no oil in this lamp. It's just in, so the foolishness is not about us being in the room. It's about him being in us, right? So he says, five of them are foolish because they're in the party. They're in the waiting room. They've got the lamps. They're in the wedding gowns and the bridegroom has invited them to be ready for him. But the issue was not their invitation. The issue was their readiness. And that was on them. The foolishness was them. It wasn't the groom didn't tell me to have oil. No, 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 the groom said, you be ready. And he goes on to say, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all, 10, the wise and foolish, got drowsy and slept. Hey church, this is us. We're waiting on the return of our groom, Jesus. And some of us wanna be ready all the time. And some of us are going, you know what? I'm showing up, I got my lamp, whatever, whenever he comes. He probably ain't even coming in this decade. So I'm just gonna do what I want. I'm gonna be a good Christian moral person, but I don't know that I want the oil of the spirit in my life all the time. At midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Look at this, all 10 virgins rose up, got their lamps, trimmed the wicks, and then the foolish go, oh, hey, can we have some of your oil? Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. Boy, isn't that like riding the coattails of your wife's spirituality? 
Isn't that like floating on the Jesus of your grandmother or your kids? Or isn't that like following the, the, the theology of your preacher and not the theology of Jesus in you? Isn't that I go to life point and my pastor loves God. I'm good, right? Hey, can I have some of your oil? No, 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 bro. I can't pray your prayer life too. I can't read your Bible for you. You gotta ready yourself by putting oil in your own lamps. But all of us are in the room when the bridegroom shows up and all of us will rise up and go, oh, oh, let's go. And the foolish among us who aren't ready will look to the wise among us and go, can I ride with you? This is Jesus' story, by the way. I'm just animating it because that's what preachers do. The wise said, there won't be enough for both of us. Now, some of us would go, that is so selfish. What about communism? What about socialism? You know, like share, let enough go around. No, I have enough of God's deposit in me to return myself to him. I don't have enough God deposit in me to give to somebody else. God has children, not grandkids. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Like you don't, God doesn't have grandchildren. He's got children. And the only way you get to be a son or daughter is for God to fill your lamp. You can't borrow the oil of another person's walk with God. It ain't selfish. Look, all of them were invited. All of them had lamps. But not all of them readied themselves. So the bridegroom shows up. They say, hey, there's not enough oil. Share. Come on, bro. Please. We've been friends a long time. And so the wise said, why don't you go to market? Hurry. Go get some oil. They're trying to help. Hey, repent of your sin. Like, Get your life right with God today. And while they were gone, the bridegroom shows up and those who were ready went into the feast. I don't know that they walked like that, but I sure did. (laughs) And they shut the door. Afterwards, the foolish virgins who were trying to play catch up came knocking on the door. Lord, open the door to us. And he says, truly, I say to you, I didn't know you. That's the key to filling your oil, your lamps. That's the key right there. It's not works, it's relationship. That's why I repel the notion that Christianity is a religion. Biblical Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. And the oil in your lamp that you need to ready yourself with is a relationship to Christ. So I'm inviting you. All he wants from Christmas from you is for you to be ready. Go all in. Give your life to Jesus. Build a relationship. Don't borrow my relationship. Guess what? I can't borrow Stephanie's. My kids don't get a ride with me. And then he closes the parable and says this, and I should have actually pulled it down here. Jesus then comes out of the parable and goes, watch therefore. Like, watch this for your own life. You don't know the day. You don't know the hour. Hey, church, all 10 ladies were invited. All 10 of them had opportunity. The issue was an invitation. The issue is readiness. It ain't unfair. It's incredibly fair. You all, every person on the planet is invited to come to Jesus. Every one of you is invited to know God, find freedom, walk with Jesus. So Jesus wants you ready. That means his church, we want you to be ready. We've said it for years. The mission of our church is simple, to lead people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. We are not trying to build a brand. I don't want any of you to be my followers. I want you to be followers of Jesus. Our preaching, 
our developing, our next steps, our small groups, our worship, our giving habits, everything we do is about leading people to be ready to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. We're not trying to create a cult. We're not trying to create robots who do religious behaviors. We're trying to lead people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. If you read through the gospels, Jesus never said, hey, I need you to believe these 32 points of religion. I need you to practice all these things and give me every Sunday and be miserable doing religious duties for the rest of your life and then hang on for the sweet by and by because some glad morning when this life is over, you'll fly away. Jesus never said that. You know what Jesus said over and over and over and over and over again? Follow me. Follow me means I'm not the leader anymore. Follow Jesus means I'm not in charge. Following Jesus means I'm a devoted follower. I didn't say a perfect example of Christian. We're trying to lead people to be fully devoted. And here's, here's what that sounds like. God, say it with me. I'm all in, I'm all in, I'm all yours. So I wanna give you three ways to be fully devoted to Jesus, here we go. And this isn't behaviors you follow to check a box and then God goes, well, you, you did 82%, that's a passing grade, you're in heaven. God doesn't weigh the scales of good versus evil, that's Islam, that's Judaism, that's Mormonism, that's Jehovah's Witness. Christianity says the scale is tipped in your favor, Jesus did it all, you receive it freely. You don't earn your way to God. He's earned his way to you. You receive it and look at me and you live in response to what you've received. The evaluation of have you received it fully, are you devoted is how you live your life. The proof of devotion is not how you live your life. The reflection of your devotion is how you live your life. Did y'all hear that? The proof of devotion is not you proving by behaving. The proof, the reflection of your devotion is how you live your life. It's like marriage, like, like I don't go out on my marriage because I'm trying to keep my wife. I protect our marriage because I love my wife. Does that make sense? My, I, I behave a certain way as a reflection of my love for her and my marriage to her. And the same is true with Jesus. So let me just give you three practical thoughts and we're gonna close. First, submit your life to Jesus. And I use the word surrender here because many of you that come up in the military, we're trained, we never surrender. And we know submit, submit to leadership, submit to authority. But I'm gonna ask you to take that hat off for a second. And I'm gonna ask you to surrender your life to Jesus. Surrender your past, your present, surrender your sin, surrender your infidelity, your adultery, surrender your fornication, surrender your anger issues, your unforgiveness, your greed, surrender all of that. God, here's what surrender looks like. Man, I, I put it at the feet of Jesus. My hands are up, I surrender. Surrender your life to Jesus. It's the call of God for everyone on the planet. Romans 10, Paul says it like this. If you confess with your mouth, which, which Jesus says in Mark 7, out of the overflow of your mouth, your heart, will your mouth speak. So a confession of the mouth is a confession from the heart. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means he's boss, he's ruler, he's authority of your life. He's not just your savior. Everybody wants Jesus as savior. But you gotta confess from your heart that he's your Lord. That's gotta be a confession. And guess how often you do that? Once when you're eight at a VBS? No, every single day of your life, sometimes multiple times in your life, when you're tempted to sin, you go, no, I can't, because Jesus is Lord. I can't lie for my company. I'm not gonna steal for you, partners. I'm not gonna go out on my wife. I'm not gonna be unforgiving. Why? Because Jesus is Lord of my life. And I'm saying it from the depths of my heart that he's the Lord of my life, so I have to forgive. I have to do the right thing. I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna go to church. Why? Because Jesus is Lord of my Sunday. If you confess, 
from your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you truly like believe at the core, the core of you, your heart, that God raised him from the dead, it's not enough to say, I believe Jesus was real. I believe in the teachings of Jesus, this kind of pluralistic, whitewashed way of seeing Jesus. He was a good teacher like every other religious teacher. He was not like any other religious teacher. No religion teaches what Christianity does. Only Jesus said, I'll die for your sin and raise for your sin and give you true life. And you have to believe at your core that he died for you and raised from the dead. And he said, if you'll say this and believe this, that's salvation. And then he said, for with your mouth, your heart, you believe and you're justified and with your mouth you confess and you're saved. The scripture says everyone who believes in him won't be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. There's no insider outsider of this. It's not just for the South or the rich or the, the, the black or the white. It's for everyone because the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Look at this. For everyone who calls, everyone's invited. Hey, in the part, fill the oil, fill the lamp. Everyone who calls, fill the lamp, will be saved. This is every day, God, I'm all in. I pray it every day over my life, usually in the shower. Then when I'm having a bad attitude, when I get cut off on Wilma Rudolph, Jesus, help me. God, I'm all in. I'm not gonna burn their car to the ground. Come on, help me, Lord. I keep joking like this. Y'all gonna think I have some real anger problems. <laughs> Our pastor's great, but he is seriously demented. It's what people have asked me before, why do you lead the whole church in a salvation prayer every day? Because we gotta get saved again because today's a new day and I need the mercies of God again today. I need his favor again today. I'm all in today. So submit your life to Jesus. Second, commit to a life devoted to Jesus. Not, this is where we've gotten it wrong in the American church. We've just said, hey, raise your hand and get saved. But the, the Great Commission doesn't say go into all the world and get everybody saved. The Great Commission says go into all the world and make disciples followers, ready students of Jesus. So I'm gonna say past the I believe and I'm all in, now you have to commit to a life devoted to Jesus. It's like when I got married, I said I'm all in to get married, but I'm also all into having a life with you. We're gonna have kids together, we're gonna buy a house, we're gonna grocery shop together, I'm gonna put the toothpaste lid on. We're gonna do the seats up and down thing. Like I'm committed to a life with you and the devotion to that life has some practical steps. It doesn't earn my marriage. My marriage is June 20, whatever, 9th, 6th. <laughs> June 29th, 2002, that happened. But every day I reaffirm my devotion to her. I look at her and I say, I love you. I remind her of that. We remind each other of that. Are y'all here? There's a life devoted to that commitment. And that's what some of, so many Christians are struggling with. So I'm gonna invite you to build a life a devotional life. That means pray, read your Bible. Not because you're trying to earn anything, but because he's earned you. Spend time with God every day. Do the disciplines, repent from sin. Build a devotional life. Second, belong to his church. You can't love me and hate my wife. Amen. People are like, well, I love Jesus, but I just can't stand the church. Then you don't love Jesus. You don't love Jesus if you don't love his church. I'm sorry. Well, church is full of hypocrites. We're not full yet. We have room for more. How crazy to say. <laughs> You know, church has got hypocrites in it. That's like going to a restaurant and saying, there's too many hungry people here. I can't eat here. It's going to a hospital and going, there's too many sick people. How can I possibly get treated here? It's going to a school and saying, there's too many uneducated children here. How in the world can I learn anything? Of course, church is full of busted up, jacked up hypocrites. And you're welcome too. Commit to his church. Go faithfully. Be in a small group. Quit holding God accountable for his dumb kids. 
Pray for your church, serve your church, give generously to your church. Quit hijacking your gifts and generosity to God because you're stingy about it or you're worried about what they're doing with it. Trust God with your giving. Trust God with his church and become a lifelong follower of Jesus. Some of y'all need to get out of the book of Deuteronomy and quit doing more book studies and get to know Jesus. Spend time in his gospels. Spend time in the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and hear the heart of Jesus. Man, some of us are so full of Christian knowledge, but no life of Christ. Build a life around Jesus Christ. When people see you, they should see someone who knew Jesus. They don't need a guy who knows 14 biblical languages and knows how to rightly divide the rapture and all the, the, the writings of Daniel and Matthew. and all, Who cares? No, Jesus. I don't care when he's coming back. I just want to care about me being ready for his return. Some of y'all need to do less Bible study and more Jesus time. Can I just say it? All I want for Christmas is for you to be ready. This is how you do it. You be, he, he did the saving, now you do the building. You do the life devoted to Christ. And finally, live life ready. I wanna go back to my original idea. I'm over time, I'm sorry. Please go get your kids quickly and don't complain about it. <laughs> Tell our Kid Point team how amazing they were last week in the service. If the Lord showed up today at the end of this second advent, would you be ready to see him? If your life was called to account today, you be ready to see him. Jesus said in Matthew 7, not everybody who calls me Lord will enter my kingdom. You go, wait a minute. I thought we'd confess he's Lord. He goes, no, no, no. But it's the person who does the will of my father. Now, when I read that, I go, okay, what do I have to do? Let me, hey, look at me. Here's what you do. Here's the will of God. Be in relationship with Jesus. If all you do is religious behaviors without relationship, it's like a marriage with no intimacy. But I'm paying the bills. My kids get to school on time. We have three dinners a night. We're doing marriage, but we're not intimate. The will of the Father for you is intimacy with Jesus. Jesus says, not everyone who calls me Lord will go to heaven, but it's the ones who do the will of the Father. And many of you will say, Lord, didn't we prophesy, cast out demons, do all these works? That's like the real spiritual stuff. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will declare, I never knew you. That's the will of the Father. That's what makes you ready for his return or your unfortunate, untimely death. It's not how few sins you have versus how many righteous deeds you do. Righteous deeds are important. Getting rid of sin is important. But that's not what guarantees your ticket to heaven. That's pagan religions. The will of God for you is to fill that oil into the life of Christianity be built in Christ, to be close to Jesus. I'm not here to preach doom and gloom. I'm here to teach one of the greatest Christian Christmas messages ever. He came into this world not to just be a baby, but to grow and live and die for you that you can have readiness and intimacy with the Father forever. It's the greatest gift you'll ever receive and the greatest gift you'll ever give back to him is your readiness. A number of years ago, a pastor friend of mine was doing mission work in a developing country and his, a group, uh, he was in a group of about 12 and he was a leader of the group and a group of federal police officers went rogue and kidnapped this group at gunpoint. They were obviously not acting as cops, they were criminals, but that's how they knew this team was there and what to look for. My pastor friend told me they held the team at gunpoint, kidnapped them, separated the two leaders from the, the, the others in the trip. And he was bound with his hands behind his back, laid on the ground, and they threw a blanket, a quilt over his head. 
And as he described the story, I was so nervous. I was like, oh my gosh, what happened? Did you die? I'm thinking, wait a minute, you're telling me the story. Clearly you didn't die. He was bound, face down. They threw a blanket over his head. And he said these things to me. He said, Mike, I can't explain the peace that came over me at the thought that I was about to meet Jesus. God spared him, obviously, he told the story. Thankfully, just to close the loop on that trip, everyone was saved, kidnappers arrested, praise God. We just never know when God will decide to show up in our lives, whether he returns for his bride or the unfortunate event of other sin, sickness, or some tragedy calls our lives on account. Scripture said it's appointed for everyone to die and then face God's judgment. What if this Christmas, every one of us said, God, all I wanna give you for Christmas is my readiness. It's very simple. Go all in with Jesus. Commit to a life built by Jesus. Grow in relationship to him. And here's what I wanna tell you. Jesus said, nobody knows the time or the hour or the, when it's gonna happen. You don't need to know that. You just need to know you're ready. So I invite you today to make yourself ready. Father, would you help us to hear this word and be challenged and moved, God, to be ready to meet the Lord. We commit right now. God, your word is true. We've heard this. These are the words of Jesus. Lord, we believe they're true and they're ready for us to receive them. And we want to be ready to meet the Lord. God, I pray that you'd give every one of us long life and health and victory in every situation so that we can live in a way that pleases you and honors you and makes a bigger deal about you. God, I'm just keenly aware that death can happen suddenly and I'm also very convinced that you can return at any moment. God, your word says you're not slow to return as some are considering slow, but you're patient towards us because you're not willing that anyone perish that everyone come to repentance. You're always giving room for one more person, always giving room for someone else to come to faith. So today, Lord, we wanna be found ready. Can you open your hands to the Lord, everybody in the church, everybody watching online at Austin P, come on and just pray this with me. I wanna know, nobody's looking around. If you would say, Pastor, I need to get ready today. I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to recommit my life to Jesus. I need to get ready today. And I sense the urgency and I know it's a word from God for me. If that's you, would you just wave your hand at me so I know I'm praying with somebody? Come on, hands around the room, everywhere, every location. So everybody pray this with me. Say, God, say it like you mean it from the bottom of your heart. God, I believe in Jesus. I confess that you are the Lord of my whole life. I believe that you died and rose from the dead, offering me eternal life. Say, I'm all in. I receive your salvation. I ask for your forgiveness. I'm for you. I will live for you for the rest of my life. Now say this and mean it. I will build my life on Jesus, my devotions, my time, my forgiveness, my habits, my relationships. I will build my life on you and in you, and I'll do it with you to the glory of God forever. In Jesus' name. Come on, everybody, say amen. Amen.